everybody. Uh, thanks for tuning in. This is Anna Callahan. You are listening to Incorruptible Massachusetts. Our goal is to help you understand state politics. So we're here to tell you why it's so broken, to imagine what we could have here in Massachusetts if we fixed it, and to report on how you can get involved. Uh, I am, as always, uh, joined by the superly amazing uh, Jonathan Cohn and Jordanberg Powers. And Jonathan, would you quick introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Jonathan Cohn. I'm a progressive activist here based in Boston. I've been active with Issue and Electoral Campaigns since 2013 here. Uh, I'm happy, happy to be here. These have been great conversations. Uh, my name is Jordan Berg Powers. I use he, him. I have 11 years experience in progressive politics and happy to be here. Awesome. Anna, she, her, a um, little less uh, time, but, uh, but very interested and having fun. Um, with these conversations. So to, we, we, in the first few episodes, this is episode four, and in episode one, we talked about what you could have if we had a great state legislature that people don't realize you can pass almost any national policy here in Massachusetts for 7 million people. Um, and in episode two, we talked about um, how much impact you can have at the state level, given that we could pass that kind of policy and lead the country, um, it costs so much less and takes so many fewer volunteers to elect people at this level. Uh, and then in episode three, uh, we, we talked about how our eight, over 80% veto-proof supermajority of Democrats is, is really failing to pass policies that are popular in Massachusetts, have majority support, and are in the Democratic Party platform. It gets weird. So today, we are going to get into why. Why is that? Why can our legislature not pass obvious wins for everyone? Um, and so we're going to dive into the, uh, the power of the Speaker of the House. So essentially, uh, the, the House, the State House, uh, is not a democracy. Um, and when I started this podcast about a year and a half ago, I described it as a, uh, a junior high school with one bully uh, and his friends controlling everything that happened. So I think that's an interesting sort of way of, of looking at it. And we're gonna talk today about how much control the speaker has and what that does to the process of voting on things. Uh, the speaker of the house and only the speaker of the house can appoint every chair and co-chair of every committee. And those chairs and co-chairs uh, really affect the agenda of those committees. The, the pay by the Constitution of Massachusetts, the pay is the median income here, which is around $66,000. And the, the chairs and co-chairs get bonus pay, right? And that could range from $5,000 to $75,000. So you heard that right. They can more than double their salary by becoming one of the coveted uh, chairs at the top. Um, but they, they definitely increase their salary by quite a bit by being a chair or a co-chair. It also determines how many staff you get. Uh, it, you know, the speaker determines where your office is and Ed Markey very famously um, had his office in the basement, I think. There is a story of someone who was, whose desk was in the hallway and didn't have an office. Um, That's Markey. Oh, that, that was, was Marky too. There you go. Yeah, he has a famous ad that says, they can tell me where to sit, but they can't tell me where to stand. <laughs> exactly. He illegally, yeah, he illegally framed it. He illegally um, 
his campaign ad is in the is in the state house. I don't know if it's illegal back then, but it was it's in the state house. Nice. And he was in the hallway in the basement. There you go, in the hallway and in the basement. Um, and he's not the only one that that happens to. So, um, but the speaker even controls where you sit in the chamber. So if he doesn't want you to talk to the people that you tend to you know, do stuff with, then you'll be sitting very far away from those people. Um, so just the, the sheer amount of control that the speaker has over what happens in the building and how much people get paid um, is a little bit crazy. And it, it, it lends itself to where we are, right? Where three of the last four speakers have gone to jail. They are, you know, because that absolute power corrupts, right? There is like living example of that is Massachusetts State House and the Massachusetts Speaker. They have so much power, it automatically corrupts. And the fourth person who didn't go to jail, DeLeo, was an unindicted co-conspirator. So this is from a WBUR news article from July 2014. It says, quote, the prosecution's designation of Massachusetts House Speaker Robert DeLeo as a co-conspirator and an alleged scheme to bribe lawmakers ahead of his election as speaker has no direct legal ramifications for the Winthrop Democrat, but it underscores the extent of his involvement in a scheme where prosecutors say jobs were traded for votes. Uh -huh. An accusation that DeLeo has rejected as false. Um, you could take that with you will. But I think that that, you know, for those of you who don't remember, um, Trump was famously an unindicted co-conspirator, right? Nixon was famous famously an unindicted co-conspirator. This is the sort of thing that corrupts dictators get in the American judicial system when they have so, when they have this absolute power. That's insane. I mean, power corrupts and here we are, three out of the four literally convicted, <laughs> the last one <laughs> unindicted. <laughs> wow, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the other question is, does, does this actually cause any votes to change, right? I mean, maybe this is all theoretical power and people are still voting the way they want to. We can hope, we can cross our fingers. Um, there was a great example um, not that long ago where, uh, you know, one of the reps was presiding, Petrolati, I think, and um, it was just a rules vote. And so he marked no on the rules vote for himself and for DeLeo. Um, and then reps started voting, right? And then uh, Petrolati kind of leans over and talks to DeLeo for a second. And then he switches his and DeLeo's votes to yes, because apparently they meant to vote yes, and he was wrong in the vote, in the no vote. So at that point, 63 Democrats switched their votes from no to yes, who had already voted, because they saw that the speaker changed his vote, and they were like, whoops, I guess I was supposed to vote no. I was supposed to vote yes on it. So I mean, it is, it's like, insane the amount of power and how it actually affects the the voting that happens on the floor and it is just just piggyback on that that quickly it's a very striking thing to see about how much reps take their cues from leadership and how they're voting with that that whether whether they didn't do they just simply didn't care or whatever they whether they just suppressed their own prior considerations of it saw a cue and voted accordingly but the other kind of question about this, kind of following along the lines of does it actually change people's votes is, well, does, has anybody actually lost out from this? Like they, we talk about this kind of concept of power and retaliation in the building, but is that ever actually used, 
right? And we have seen real cases of, uh, of representatives who were who did get on the wrong side of the speaker and then lost the chairmanship accordingly. Uh, that was back, back in 2015 was when, it was when the House voted to eliminate term limits for the speaker. If you remember that, because DeLeo, when he first became speaker, had promised, had as a good government promise against those that had been concerned about uh, his the possibility of him becoming speaker uh, amidst the kind of the fallout from the last one, said, well, I'll term limit myself. See, um, uh, this is kind of a nice, honest move. You'll have I a promise. new speaker. Exactly. Pinky swear. Pinky um, swear. And then when he was kind of hitting up against the term limits, just had everybody vote to repeal them. And uh, Representative John Hacked, who's who now just retired this past at the end of this past session, but was the state rep from Watertown, uh, was the only only Democratic state rep to actually speak up on the floor against repealing term limits. Wow. There were a few other uh, Democrats to vote uh, to vote against doing so. He was the only one to speak, and he went from being the vice chair of the Joint Com Committee of Elder Affairs on the House side to not being the Joint Chair. And so that was literally because of speaking on the floor, like a loss, probably around like ten thousand dollars, I think it is. Uh, of pay that just got docked from him uh, from one year to the next for doing that. And there was also kind of a similar case. This was back in um, back in 2017 when the, when the Ways and Means Chair at the time, Brian Dempsey, decided to become a lobbyist instead, as they all seem to do when they leave. Uh, that uh, that State Representative Russell Holmes from Mattapan had spoken about how. Uh, had, had expressed opinions about how the next Ways and Means Chair should be selected and kind of criticized uh, kind of the process around that to some degree. And when there was a shuffling around of seats that had to happen because of putting somebody in as a new chair of Ways and Means, somehow that shuffling of seats led to Russell Holmes losing his vice chairmanship on the housing committee. It just so happened that it had to work that way. Not intentional at all. Yeah, and, and, and that it's one of those examples where you one of those cases where you don't need that many examples of that happening to send a message to other representatives that if you run afoul with leadership, we have no qualms about doing this. Yeah. And, and a real in a really unusual, like usually people don't talk about it. So we see these things, but like this is not something you talk about. But um, Jay Kaufman actually went on Commonwealth Magazine when he was no longer a state rep to talk about how when he was head of the, um, the revenue committee, um, he had a, you know, a little diff with the speaker who said, who told him that he would no longer be the chair of that committee if he didn't vote a certain way on a transportation bill. Um, and one of the things I liked about that, that piece and a companion piece that was also in Commonwealth Magazine is um, Cleon Turner, who was also another former state rep, um, has this wonderful quote that I just love. He says, hey, that's how leadership works. Uh, you don't vote your own way and be a chair. It's like, it's like everybody knows that. Like you don't vote on bills the way you think you should vote, the way you want you to vote and be a chair. Like that's ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, and it's, um, so for those of you who like don't understand how this works, uh, if you want to vote your own way, or often what happens is, you know, legislators will 
put on an amendment or try to push a conversation around a bill. And so what happens is that the, the people in charge, so the people who end up being the enforcers for the speaker, um, something that, uh, you know, the current chair, uh, the current speaker allegedly was the person who did this. They pull you into a room and they literally yell at you. I have spoken to many legislators who have been yelled at, who have been told that they're, you know, that bad things will happen, that their, that their constituents won't get the things that they need. Um, you know, you will get threatened by the people until you either pull the amendment or don't, you know, sort of don't uh, bring it to the floor, don't cause complaints, don't, um, you know, if you don't vote the right way. So they will literally threaten you <clears throat> with yelling, with, um, with people, all sorts of, you know, all sorts of threats. And the other part of that is that that becomes then a culture. So you'll see people will talk, you know, they'll talk to each other and they'll say, oh, you don't want to do that. You'll run afoul of the speaker. Oh, you don't want to talk about that. that. That way the speaker will be mad. So you get this system which polices itself through the culture, the culture of the speaker having absolute say becomes so corrosive because they enforce it on each other. Right, the same way that all institutions of oppression, right, you know, a lot of, um, uh, uh, you know, systems of, of racial oppression, systems of gender oppression, right, all of those boxes that we put people in, it's often people with those same boxes that put the, you know, put the walls around us. It's the same thing here. A lot of the things the speakers even need to go yell, somebody else will enforce it for them. Somebody else will be, will do that work of making sure that they toe the line, that they Maybe understand even this is how it works. Right. They yep. might even be like, oh, yep. oh no, yeah. they're trying to protect that person, right? Oh, you yep. don't want to do that because you're yes. going to get in trouble. And so I, I joke that this is like the prisoner's dilemma where your legislator has only, the only thing is they go to jail. Like there is no other option, right? The only position is you go to jail. And so that's the problem that a lot of these legislators face. And, I'll, and this prisoner's this dilemma, last, just for people who don't know. Yes, yeah, so the prisoner's dilemma is an economics, a basic economics theory that if two people are being, um, if two people are in interviews and they don't know how the other person's doing, they can trade, they can say, if you do this, you get free and the other person will go to jail. And what ends up happening in most situations is they both tell each other to stay out of trouble. I will say just this last thing really quickly that I love. So one of the more conservative reps said to me once that he imagined that there's more freedom in China than there is in the Massachusetts State House. That's how much dictatorial power the speaker has. Yeah, love it. The, um, the, 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 only, the only possibility is to go to jail just made me think of like what a terrifying monopoly board where the, no matter what, <laughs> what you all, uh, you somehow <laughs> land on go to jail. No, 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 no. You, either, well, you either go to speaker or go to jail. That's it. This is the exactly. only option, There's, right? <laughs> only decision. Well, the, what you noted as well is in terms of getting people to, ch people to change their votes, uh, just kind of a quick point to make is that we saw that in action last session where you had people voting against bills that they were e either the lead sponsor of or a main sponsor of, that when those come up as an amendment, whether it was election day registration last year, whether it was allowing municipalities to pass the real estate transfer fee or to... Uh, past rent stabilization laws, people who had actually co-sponsored self, that self-same text uh, suddenly decided that when it was told that this is a will not pass amendment, they voted to make sure that it didn't pass uh, because of that incentive structure. The one thing of uh, the prisoners of the comment of the people who aren't able to really share informa information productively, reminded me as well as of how much that control over information 
helps helps reinforce that power structure in the building because rep representatives often don't know what they're going to vote on until the vote happens. One kind of wild example of this that I often think of, from, uh, this isn't the, this past session, but the one prior, was a, was a vote on um, what's called community benefit district. So it was basically a bill that would allow in cities and towns, if you had a group of private landowners come together and decide, we wanna create impose a fee on everybody in, on our block, uh, kind of us as a private group wanna well, like, impose that tax and they gotta sign off to do that. And so whether or not the people in that group had any actual democratic say, over that happening either, or the expenditure of that happening, somehow you, you're able to like then private, maybe like create that little private park or private other things without, without really due process involved in that. And so it was reported out of committee in the morning, I believe this is May 30th, uh, 2018, read, get, gets its series of necessary readings and then gets placed on the orders of the day for a vote. So all of this happening on the same day. So it literally gets out of committee the same day that it gets voted on on the floor. So there wasn't really much of a way that unless you have like heaven in and have a sense that this is coming down the pipeline, that you learn about this bill that's suddenly important enough for you to vote on that afternoon in that morning and don't have the time to figure out what's even, what's even in it. And it was a striking example because after it passed, you had a number of organizations like the Com Common Cause and the NAACP and the ACLU express concerns around like the privatization of public property or the kind of, or restrictions on free speech that this bill would pass that, although the bill had passed with like almost no objections, I believe there were only two representatives voting no because they're like, okay, this is, this is before us, I guess it's fine. If, if it's being rushed, I guess it's uncontroversial. And it just kind of quashes any real debate and then just kind of reinforces that people will assume that they should vote yes because they don't have any information to the contrary because they weren't given the time to find information to the contrary. Yeah, or it sounds like, the, you know, with that, um, that one that, where 63 Democrats switched their votes, like, mm -hmm. did they even know what they were voting? Like, what they were voting <laughs> on? Probably not, right? Not. Same with this one. Did they even know what they're voting on? Meh. Because it doesn't matter because they're just going to vote the way the speaker says anyway. Mm -hmm. So why should they bother? Mm -hmm. Why should they care yeah. how long they have to read the bill? It's not um, like they have that much staff to do the research in the first place. Mm -hmm. or an also a result of, of the structure of the building that if you, if you aren't somebody high ranking, you don't have many staff first, so you don't even necessarily have the people that you could task with doing the research on what you're about to be voting on. Yeah, and the speaker yeah, was the one who like said who determines who's the chairs of the committees and those are the people determining like how fast something's going to get through mm -hmm. whether it's going to immediately go to the floor so like all that agenda setting has a lot to do mm -hmm. with the power over the state house and the speaker to controls all the people who set all the agendas i've been joking more and more that we could automate most of the legislature um, and no one would notice the difference and also they could learn about an issue that they're not currently dealing with which is people's losing jobs because of automation <laughs> that, um, that could be a slogan that we have it's like robot reps now <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> yeah, just streamline it for us. I mean, it, I think it's, it's, you know, I've been saying a long time that there's, there's this over-focus on individual um, legislators and not enough focus on the actual speaker themselves. I can't tell you how many times I have gone to events where I was the only one booing DeLeo. And I was just like, how do you not know that the things that we, the things that we want to do, the things that um, get bottled up, there is one person who is deciding that. There's not a cabal. There's not like many people. Maybe there's a few people here and there who help shape the speaker's thinking. But there is one person who ultimately decides what happens in our state. And we don't have enough high expectations and enough enough ire for that peep for that person, right? So the new speaker, I'm a generally like super hopeful person. And so like, you know, I have high hopes for the new speaker, but also high expectations, right? So I think that I hope that he has a desire to do big things, to get things done. But ultimately we have to focus our energy on that speaker. We should be telling the speaker to do things and hold him, because it's always been him's, accountable for not doing those things, right? So we need, if we're gonna do all these things of setting goals for our reps and talking to them and lobbying them, what are we doing to make the speaker role more prominent for people, regular people? What are we doing as advocates, as people who are in the press, who are talking to regular people to say, you need to be mad that if this isn't happening at the person who's most responsible, which is the speaker. We need to really focus our energy on that because then that does two things. That makes it so that people, voters start to understand that it's about the allegiance to the speaker that is bad and you make that institution toxic, right? So that's mm -hmm. basic organizing. You make somebody the target of your organizing and you, and you make it so that people then have to make a judgment on that. And I guarantee you that if we, if people understood People sort of understand, but if they really understood how much power the speaker had, they would spend all their time <laughs> talking about the speaker, focusing on the speaker, messaging about the speaker, thinking about how to move the speaker, right? All of our organizations wouldn't be on Beacon Hill. They would be just move around to where the speaker's district is, right? Like that's what we would be doing with our time and energy. And I submit that that is something that we should be thinking about, especially for people who don't have the burden of having to worry about making sure that their members are fed, mm -hmm. making sure that their members can get the things they need, right? There are groups that need to have those good relationships, yeah. but not every person does. And so mm -hmm. those people who are who are able to have visible public conversations with the, with the electorates across this state about what's happening need to be really stepping up and making clear who can do things in this state, who has power. And there is one person who has basically absolute power. <laughs> Which is which is bad in so many ways. Um, like I think we've we've scratched the surface of how bad it is for our democracy that this person. I mean, it's a totally toxic workplace. Right? Imagine being one of these state reps. Right? People lobby you. People try to convince you. Meanwhile, there's this intense pressure there in the state house. You know, this is one of the things AOC talks about, right? Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, but like the pressure that you are under from the other elected officials in that body is so intense. It is incredibly difficult to not sort of break just under that pressure. Um, and, and then what I hear sometimes, I hear from people this question, well, why don't we just replace the speaker? Or as you know, we, we just had a speaker step down and we have a new speaker. Um, and I know we all have a lot of thoughts on that one. <laughs> um, and I think this is something that we are gonna cover next week.
and I am excited to talk to you both about it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Looking forward to it. Absolutely. Talk to you soon. Thank you.